This is the Peers to Peers podcast, powered by The Peers Project. Hello, peers. Welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast. Peers speaking, peers listening. This is a conversation for you. I'm your host, Michelle Akitanor, founder of The Peers Project, millennial entrepreneur, world traveller, podcast expert, and forever your fellow passionate peer. Each week, I invite inspiring millennial entrepreneurs from around the globe to chat with me. No filters, just real talk, peer-to-peer. Together, we unpack what it takes to go your own way and why there's nothing better. As always, thank you for listening. If you enjoy our podcast, please do pass it on. The more peers, the merrier. Hello, my peers, and welcome to another episode of the Peers Project podcast. Today, I'm sharing with you all another incredible story from a millennial entrepreneur who I admire very much. Today's guest has this amazing ability to view every situation and experience as a positive one, and to not just go through the motions in life, but to really appreciate every experience and opportunity she's been given regardless of how boring or mundane it's been. Unlike so many of us, my peers, who consider things that we don't necessarily enjoy or like as things that we have to do, today's guest approaches each of these have-to tasks as something that she gets to do. So who is this brilliant entrepreneur I'm talking about? Well, her name is Rebecca Saunders. Becca is the founder of Sydney-based production company Delhi Agency and online video education hub, The Vlog School. Early last year, Becca opened Sydney's most affordable soundproof film studio, Piermont Studio, which I had the privilege of recording several of our up-and-coming episodes in. She's also the producer of Reaching Distance, a fully independent Australian feature film made by millennials for millennials. In this episode, my peers, Becca is refreshingly honest and real about the initial struggles she faced while launching her agency. Her tangible advice on the rates freelancers should be charging, as well as the process to produce an independent film, is incredibly eye-opening and makes this a must-listen-to episode for any of you creative entrepreneurs hoping to pursue your creative dreams. I cannot wait for you all to listen to the wisdom Becca shares in today's episode, my peers, and appreciate her humour as much as I did. So without further ado, here is my conversation with the brilliant Rebecca Saunders. Becca, welcome to the Peers Project. Thank you. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. It's a lovely sunny day in Melbourne, so uh, yeah, it's great to be here. I'm glad. Good. Well, you know, you and I met about a month ago now uh, through Janine Garner um, at one of her events here in Melbourne. And when you and I got talking, I, you know, about you and your business, I knew I had to interview you. I knew I had to have you come on the show. So I really appreciate you being here today. Not a problem. I'm in Melbourne for some exciting stuff too. So it's good to be here and we've got lots to talk about. Very exciting things and I'm glad, yes. Great. So before we dive into you and your work and the very exciting thing that's happening today in Melbourne, I want to start with a question that I've often found to be very insightful and revealing and that is, where did you grow up and how has this impacted the choices you've made in your life and in your career so far? Oh, I wasn't expecting that as the first question. Um, So I grew up in Buckinghamshire in the UK, eldest of three kids, you know, just, it's not country, but it's not city either was where I grew up. And I don't, without sort of going too much into a lot of sort of personal detail, I guess, like, you know, we grew up, we wouldn't want for anything, always striving to, to to be better or, or just actually that's really the wrong way of saying things it was we were never pushed to try and do you know you get, some people have pushy parents my parents just weren't pushy parents and so um whilst we strive for good things and um achieve really well like you know top of the class at, at secondary school and all that kind of stuff it wasn't anything that I was necessarily striving for or being pressured to go and do it just sort of 
happened, which is why I find this question sort of like a bit of a curveball going, well, I didn't really do anything <laughs> to get to that point. Um, and I guess for me, the biggest turning point was probably when my dad passed away when I was 15. So the couple of days before my 15th birthday. And at that point, I realized, right, okay, life's short, really. Go do stuff. So that's really, if anything was a turning point, it would have been between, between that and my grandma as well. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yep. So much to take in here. <laughs> I love it. I'll throw one right so, back at you. <laughs> I love it. And this is, you know, why I love these type of conversations. So I think that's really interesting there, that idea of, you know, you weren't actually forced to, but you just kind of naturally excelled at what you did as a, as a child. And then when your father died there, what was that? I mean, I can only imagine, but what was that experience like for you and, and kind of the, maybe the pressure that put on the family or your mum? Look, my mum does, uh, she she will not admit that she said this, but she definitely did, and I can remember exactly. Um, <laughs> I love that there's a cat in here making a noise. <laughs> Fantastic. Animals, technology, yeah. it's just part of human life, right? Oh, dear. I did a Facebook Live the other day with a group, and... Uh, the video was fantastic live, but the recording of that group and the recording of that video um, had no visuals to it. So ironically, the person talking about video had fantastic audio, just no video. But the live was great. The live worked. It was just the recording of it didn't work. Oh, um, don't we love that? Yeah, completely, yeah. completely. <laughs> <laughs> great. Oh, goodness. No, no. Hilarious. Um, well, we're going to keep it. that bit in, right? Because oh, 100%. We love the, you know, the times where it goes all wrong. Oh, exactly. And, um, it's part of the fun. Oh, it's resilience. Great. Yeah. Makes you be a bit more creative. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so I guess... Yes. So, yeah, where was I? Um, so I remember finishing school and going, you know what? I'm going to go get a job. Hmm. And my mum was like, no, you're not. I said, yeah, I am. I'm going to go get a job. Full time. Like, I'm done with school. Yeah. I'm over it. Like, I'm going to go get a job. And she said, no, you're not. You're going to go to university. So whilst everyone at school around me was going, which university are you going to go to? Where are you going to go? And doing all this stuff. Didn't even come into my radar. I was like, right, I'll just go to the one down the road. <laughs> and which degree is going to be fun without any exams? <laughs> I don't like exams. So I don't understand why you'd put yourself under that much pressure for a period of time. Which is, you might as well just do it slowly and achieve the same thing. But <laughs> that makes me a creative and not a scientist. So, um, yeah, I went to uni down the road. And I was very much just, uh, right, I'll study and I'll work. Mm -hmm. And so that stubbornness inside me just went, I'll do both. Like. <laughs> <laughs> and I love that. And I think it's, isn't it so interesting? I mean, we talk about this a lot here at the Peers Project, this idea of that traditional trajectory and how many of us have just kind of go through the motions. You know, we kind of go good school to get into a good union, all of that. And for you, it seemed to be the exact opposite. And your mum only alerted you to that fact. Why do you think that was you know why do you think you thought differently in that well, way I guess like for me at the time I think my headspace was very much you weren't the breadwinner my mum wasn't the breadwinner in the household mm. like come we can step up we can make it work um not really required to do that as a teenager really despite best intentions and so I wasn't required to do that I was the first person in our family to go to university so you know I guess for them it was well, don't let life get in the way, still go do that thing. And I think that's what people find really interesting, particularly if you now, I'm quite open about talking about feelings and death and life and all that stuff, but it's just life. You just, you go with it, you take what hits you, quite literally, and just keep rolling. You know, you just keep going, you can't change it. You've just got to learn from it and build from it and move on. Mm. As weird as that sounds, but yeah. Mm. I love that takeaway. And I think that the fact that you had something so traumatic happen to you at a young age to be able to build you in that way and for you to think, well, I'm just going to take on that role of, you know, kind of leading my family and kind of going out there and doing what's necessary. And I think that that is, it's super cool. And it's something that many of us, especially us women out there, our peers out there listening who are women, you know, can learn from, from you. I think that the idea of kind of just owning it yourself and going forth, that's really interesting. Okay. So you get into uni, you're just down the road. You know, yep. it's nice and easy. What happens then? Hmm. It goes a bit sort of around about. So I, I worked, so through uni, it was supposed to be a full-time degree. 
on paper really you're not there for very many hours I don't know if it was just my degree or that's what university is like but um, throughout my three years at uni I managed to hold down three part-time jobs and the degree so all at the same time and so there were, for a period of time I was literally living on a Red Bull and wine and not in the orders that most university students were doing it in. I was very much like get through the day, awesome, like get to work. I was leaving one, starting one job at 5am, doing the morning shift, coming into uni in the afternoon, going away and doing the evening shift in a restaurant and it's just, just fantastic. Okay. Um, and like you're looking at me horrified, but it was Clearly, just fantastic. Like to just... <laughs> Just be around the hustle and bustle of people. So I guess I'll try and put it in the most logical way of, of doing it. So my first year at uni, we got told we had to go and do some work experience locally. So I went to the local paper, you know, just down the road, growing up in the area. Um, started as a work experience kid for a week and a half. And what came apparent is not one reporter in that building was a local and so they're all coming in from doing journalism degrees in big places and getting regional papers and getting a job on a regional paper and so if a project was happening or a story was like going live or they had to go interview someone they'd go well where is this place and they'd all start googling it so oh it's just mate it's just three doors like three blocks down the road on the left and so then they're like oh do you want to come and be in here all the time do you, do you want to come in once a week and so that for me started the journalism side I was studying journalism, I was being creative, like I knew then that just speak up because if you know stuff you might, you know, don't overstep the mark but don't keep quiet either. If you're going to help someone, tell them, like, you know, help them out, give them some information. So that for me was, went from work, work experience to one day a week as an intern to one or two days a week paid as the years progressed. And so that was really fantastic. And ironically, actually, one of the guys that was a reporter at that paper um, when I moved to Australia uh, six years ago, 2012, mm. um, was in Australia running one of the biggest media publications in the country. And so just to go, wait, I know that name, I know that face, that's so hilarious. So, you know, I'm very much a person of what, what's come, what happens, well, it happens, it's karma, it's fate, what, you know, everything happens for a reason. Um, and so I really, really value that experience at the paper. That was fantastic. It gave me the ability to do, be creative, do my journalism, but also be a sub-editor as well. So I went into that form of stuff. So sub-editor on a paper, rereads all the stories reporters have written, tweaks them slightly, puts them into the, um, actually designs the paper. So they put all the stories into the, um, into the templates for printing. So alongside that, I think it was in my second year, I started working at a re local restaurant. So I did that restaurant full-time, part-time, full-time, part-time for the best part of eight years, eight or nine years. And I get a lot, I got a lot out of that. That was so much fun. <laughs> just the lessons you learn and the people you meet and the way that you just understand how customer service works and how it should work. Um, if you ever get to come out with me anywhere now, I'm just very much, well, that service was shocking and I'll just go let them know, <laughs> you know, what could have been improved. Um, because I just, I'm, I'm a stickler for good service and there's no reason why you can't be nice to people who you're there to serve. But that's a different story for another conversation. <laughs> um, and then finally, I worked at Starbucks as well. So um, worked at Starbucks, and I was one of the assistant supervisors in opening the first Starbucks service station store. So we were the biggest and the busiest service station store as we were the first service station outside of London in the M25. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So that, that's, that's my university story. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> And I probably, I, I guess one thing I missed there is I probably had the quickest dissertation I think anyone uh, <laughs> has ever managed to achieve. Um, while some people take hours and months and, you know, weeks and hours and whatever it is to, to create one. Mine was literally taking stories that I'd written for the local paper <laughs> and stories that I'd written for the student paper, which I also launched. I didn't, I forgot that bit. Launched the student paper, put them all together, designed it nicely that was my dissertation. So it took me all of three hours to put it together. I love it. <laughs> I love it. There's so much to take in there, Becca. And I think this is why I was so excited to have this conversation with you because 
from listening to that, it really seems like it really comes down to your outlook. You know, every experience you had, even in your university days, like we were talking about, was really kind of you described it as exciting and fun and like you added so much value to it. And I think that that, and there's so much to say there about your character, about how you go about things. And it's so evident, even though we just met for that short period several weeks ago, it's so evident that that's, that's how you go about your life and mm. your, your business, your business today. So I think that a question there I would say would be, you know, how can we develop that kind of positive, kind of um, vibrant attitude to the things we're doing? Sometimes, you know, you know, for example, working in a cafe, not always the best of times, but how can we have developed that outlook? Oh, do you allow swearing on your podcast? <laughs> um, like, I do live my life by the mantra of fuck it. Like, <laughs> let's just see what happens. Um, and for a while, a few years ago, I had, like, flirt with fear was one of my mantras a couple of years ago. And I guess it all comes down to treat people how you'd want to be treated. Like, you know, kill them with kindness. You know, throw kindness around like it's confetti, all those fun things. But actually live by them. Don't just buy the postcards and stick it on your fridge. Like, you know, um, so pay it forward. Like, but, you know, if you're having a really crappy day and someone in front of you's bought you a cup of coffee you're like how awesome is that going to be so the person behind you could have a bad day and you've just made it by spending the extra three or four bucks buying the next person a coffee or just being human I think and I think that's a really hard thing it's a hard thing to learn um I'm very much it is in your nature and how you go around it but it's who you surround yourself with at the same time um a lot of people are put down rightly or wrongly you know rightly or wrong is the wrong term without knowing and the people around them are not knowingly putting down an individual but you know if you if you're loud and you're big and you're creative and you go home at the end of the day and you're telling people about this and they're like can you just can you just quiet just you're being too loud that's going to kill your confidence (laughs) right you're going to be like well do I say anything? Can I get excited? Is that okay? Um, and that happens to me and I still can go home to my mum's house now and I'm still over the top for everyone else. And they go, can you just tone it down? And it was last year. I was like, you know what? I'll just go. Like, I don't have to be here. You know, I've chosen. And so it sounds awful saying that about like, close family. And I mean, you don't pick your family, you know, but you can't just sit around people that go, yeah, no. Nah. You know, go around and be surrounded by positive people. Um, and I guess that's really, you know, going back to how we met through Janine, like just through her book of it's who you know. If you're surrounded by like energy sucking vampires, you're going to be a zombie. So, you know, go and surround yourself with fun people. And um, yeah, if people don't like you, who cares? Really, just move on to the next one uh, or the next group. So, I think it's that inner confidence piece and it does take a lot of work to get to that point. Um, But when you've got it, it's worth finding. Mm -hmm. I love that. And I completely agree. I think that just touching on there, it's your, your idea around building your tribe and finding those people who you bond with and you, who you connect with, who can lift you up. And I think it's so evident that that's what you've, I mean, you invest in that now and you, you really kind of put that at the forefront, which is so cool to see. So great. Okay, cool. So, you know, moving from those university days, you know, what's so funny is I'm going to embarrass you now, but what's so funny is you ended up graduating uni with 2.1, which is phenomenal considering that you, <laughs> you know, that you um, working three jobs and, you know, you started your the student newspaper, student editor back in 2010, I think it was, yeah. um, which is absolutely awesome to see. So I really want to transition into that period of you just graduated and you step out into kind of the real working world. Although you had been working, throughout mm-hmm. your degree I think there's a difference there so I saw that you you know you went on to be now this might be an experience that you already talked about but the um sub-editor junior writer for forward group different that was my different, first yeah first yep. thought so so I mean look talk to us about that transition there you know you've gone straight out of university you've got all this experience under your belt and you start out in this role what was that like for you? I think in my head like I I live just outside of London so about I wasn't considered London. I was about a 40 minute train ride outside of London. And so in my third year of uni, I had saved enough to have bought 
my like my property in the UK. So I bought a house wow. in my third year of uni and was the first one of my friends to do that because I was working my ass off, right? Um, I had a goal, I had a dream, and my dream was always to live in Australia. Uh, always was. It, it always since I was a little kid, been, I'd been here a few times on holiday. My mum's brother lives out here. My dream was always that. And in my head, it's like, right, if I go over there and it stuffs up, um, I need something to fall back on, a.k.a buy a house oh. there's something to always go back to right if I need to there's a place for me to go home to and if not didn't happen it's <laughs> just uh, it's just you know I've got on the property ladder it's earning money fantastic and so when I went to get a job after uni it was very much um go for any I, I wanted to just work in London I didn't want to live in London I'm quite an introvert when it comes to that it doesn't, doesn't seem it, but I am. I don't, I don't like crowds. I don't like big, bustly places. I'd rather you came to my house and I cook for you than us go to the local. Like, I just... I'd rather have that intimate sort of conversations. And so going into London, I felt like I was going to be in, like, the Devil Wears Prada or something. And I had all the sex in the city. And I had it in my head that it was going to be the most glamorous thing ever. And it's going to be fantastic. And the reality was I interviewed for this job. Um, and I remember going... I, I literally interviewed to a company thinking it was a completely different company, if that makes sense. So the company I thought I was interviewing for had offices in Sydney, London, and New York. This particular one only had offices in London. Oh. But either way, I was like, one day, I even said in the interview, I'm going to move to Sydney mm-hmm. at some point. You know, I've got, I, I know I'm going there. Anyway, I got the job and <laughs> God knows how. Um, and I had the best, the best editor on that job she was a contractor to the role which meant that her loyalties were in both the work but also in growing the young people around her and to this day like I will never forget that I lasted I lasted eight months in that role Um, and I say lasted because I'm not one for rules um, and I don't like people Mm, judge I don't like judgment and I don't like people that will say one thing but completely do another um so for example and I'm sure a lot of people will see this particularly in junior roles going into any environment mainly corporate is you'll be expected to be the first one in the office and get there on time and be at your desk and working and you don't leave until like at least it's gone five o'clock or whatever your time frames are but the people around you who are clock watching you doing that will rock up at nine o'clock and then have breakfast and then have a coffee and a bit of a chat and finally sit down at half past 10. And it's like, well, what does it matter if I left at five to five? Really? Because, <laughs> you know, in the grand scheme of things. So this is what's going on in my head going, well, this is ridiculous. Like I could do so much more and I couldn't. So I was at a time literally struggling and understanding of how to behave in a, in an old traditional agency corporate space. And um, the editor that I had, she was fantastic the team I had was fantastic Um, it was a very collaborative approach so traditionally speaking copywriters and designers don't really talk and collaborate in that way they're very they're almost quite separate Uh, it's changed a lot in the last few years but it was quite separate whereas before um, I'd go well how do I know how many words I've got and they'd say oh it's about this or that I was like well what if I write it and then we sort of sort of worked on the design together and sat next to each other and learned how you did your thing and I do my thing and therefore neither of us are wasting time trying to, you know, fit two things together. We might as well just work on it together to start with. And so that just helped me build the collaboration and build it up and it got to a point for me where I just thought I can't do this agency thing anymore. I can't, I can't get on the train in London uh, at home at 7.30 in the morning, get to the office, have to leave at five o'clock. Because if I didn't leave at five o'clock, I couldn't get home into the restaurant by six for the end thing. So I was literally run, like running ragged. Oh. Um, awesome experience. I wouldn't have changed anything because you do everything for a reason. Um, I think the, the good thing in my Sex in the City moment came to life when I left and the security guard said to me, she said, I don't think I've ever seen you wear the same thing twice. <laughs> I was like, oh, still to this day, it puts a smile on my face. I'm like, wow, I don't even have that much of a wardrobe. I just had a lot of cool stuff that I sort of fudged together, you know, like, oh, that will go with this and it will look great. So it was fantastic, just that passing comment of, oh, awesome, yeah. Yeah, so that was my experience in actual agency land. Mm. All eight months of it. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> I find it fascinating, Becca. I think that just, you know, once again, going back to your personality, the way you see things is so different to most. And I think that it's so evident in this situation, you know, your, your kind of logic around, well, if they're starting, really starting work at 10.30, you know, why do I have to be here till five, you know? And I think that it's so funny that you put it that way because many of us just kind of go, oh, well, this is just how it's done. We just kind of conform. And we talk a lot about that here at the Peers Project, this idea of actually not being afraid to not conform and actually going, hold up, is that suited to me? And am, am, am I okay with that? Um, which I, th- I think is so interesting that you did naturally once again. And so I want to dive into Sydney. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you said that Sydney was always kind of where you wanted to be. You knew it, you wanted to make it happen. So, you know, I saw that, and it's kind of evident through kind of my stalking on LinkedIn, <laughs> that... Oh, very open on LinkedIn. What did you like, find? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, you know, you, you decided to move to Australia, I think, you, as you said, 20, 2012, heading mm-hmm. into 2013, and soon after you launched your agency. So talk to us a bit about that day that you said, I'm going to book the flights to Sydney. <laughs> um, I, I don't think I'd even had a shower, like, that morning. <laughs> And it got to the point where I'd done the restaurant and I was working full-time in the restaurant. So I'd quit my agency job, was working full-time in the restaurant, had the house at home and it was getting a bit dreary and wet outside. It was the Mm. end of summer and not that the UK's got summer in comparisons to this, but, you know, at the time it was getting, the summer was going and the grey skies were starting to come in and I just thought, bugger it. Like, I'll just fill in this working holiday visa. What have I actually got to lose? What? I have nothing. I've got nothing to lose. And so I filled in the working holiday visa. I didn't think anything of it. I thought it would take a few weeks. Mm. Fine. Took about 20 minutes to be approved. I think I'd boiled the kettle and (laughs) come back and it was approved. And so I just booked a flight. And I phoned my mum and I said, "Um, I've booked a flight to Australia. She said, oh, when are you going? I said, oh, a few weeks in a few weeks time she said oh when are you coming back I said I'm not she goes oh oh okay um okay and that was it that was all the conversation had there was none I've never had uh anyone around me saying where are you going you will never come back like I want you here and I know a lot of people have had had that um and that's not in any way stretch that my family is an unloving family it's very much a go do your thing. Like, I've got the support to do whatever I want, and that is just incredible. There's no guilt trip there. There's no, are you coming home for Christmas? There's none of that. Um, And so I booked the flight, and I packed all my stuff. I actually left my house for six months, so I literally just closed the door like you were going out for milk, just left (laughs) it all, just thinking, you know, there's no point in packing it all up if it's not going to work. So I left it, was in the fortunate position to be able to afford my mortgage for that period of time. So um, left it, closed the door, off we went. And yeah, rocked up in Sydney with a suitcase, a laptop and passion. (laughs) (laughs) Big dreams. I love it. Okay. Wow. And you know, once again, I think there's so much we can learn from that experience, that idea of just making the decision and committing to it. You know, I think so many of us go, oh, I really want to go do that. Or I want to be here. Or, you know, if only I could, and we never actually make that move. What advice would you give to some of our peers out there listening around that idea of making a decision and committing to it? Look, I think one of the big things that I'm really proud of doing is I've done all of this without putting myself in the red. And so the idea of just getting on a booking a flight and putting on a credit card and doing whatever, like you've got to work hard at it and then you, you know, you reap the rewards. So, you know, if, if that's what you want to do, build a mood wall and put it on the wall and be like, you know what, I'm going there in that pla- in that time frame and book the flight. You know, some places will allow you to book the flight and pay it off over time or having a separate bank account to put 50 bucks in a week or whatever it is, um, whatever works for you is it, you just need to have that drive of I'm going, you know, and if people around you say, well, why or how just cause I want to, like, you don't, you know, if you want, take your judgment somewhere else, like you're either going to support me in it or we're just not going to talk about it. Um, so I think for that, just, you know, everyone's got something in their heart of hearts that just goes, oh, I'd love to do that. And excitement and fear are the same feeling, I think, in your stomach. It really is. So you know it in your gut. Just do it. Just do it. Love it. 
Great. So, you know, you walk up to Sydney, you start at a role I saw, um, once again, content production, producer, um, copywriter at Laser Clinics Australia. And so talk to us a bit about how you stumbled across, got that role, (laughs) and then obviously transitioned into your business. Yeah, so... When I moved here, my background was really in hospitality and journalism, and I fudged my whole way through all of it, really. Um, like like most cool stories that you hear, like it's a bit of winging it and a bit of fudging stuff here and there and faking it till you make it. And actually what isn't listed on my LinkedIn profile is that I, uh, for about six months, worked at Cafe Bones, which is the dog cafe in the middle of Leichhardt Dog Park in Sydney, which is essentially a metal tin shed that sells coffee to dog walkers. Um, fantastic community place, just an absolute dive. You were covered in dust and sweat and dog stuff, and it was not a glamorous lifestyle. And I also worked, whilst I did that cafe job, I also did another cafe job locally to where I was living. Through talking to people and getting to know your regular customers, that's when I got the role at Laser Cancer Australia. So, so what did you do? Where have you come from? And so I got, I got talking, I got the role there. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's not what you know, it is who you know. And so if you take the time to talk to people, say hello, get chatting, remember someone's coffee order, you know, whatever it is, you'll have those conversations that you wouldn't necessarily have any other time. I've met some phenomenal people that way. Um, and so, so that's how I got the job at Laser Clinics. And again, it was my first freelance job of me having to go, well, this is how much I charge. Um, and, you know, eye-opening, everyone starts somewhere and they don't, you don't really factor in the fact that you want to be able to take holidays. And, you know, whilst X amount seems like an awesome day rate in the grand scheme of things, it's really not when you're actually thinking about what you actually need to afford, taking into consideration holidays and sick leave and you know superannuation I didn't know what that was at the time um so so I think and that's probably one of my biggest things that I do tell young entrepreneurs to actually think about is it's all very well yes I can get a job and I'm going to charge out two or three hundred dollars a day because that to me is good money it's not like you've really got to factor in um you know so do you want to really work 52 weeks a year no like okay so that brings it down to 48 or whatever it is and do you really want to work seven days a week no you don't want to work weekends do you so you're bringing it down again and actually work out how many days you want to be working in a year how much do you want to be earning and you divide what you're earning by what you want to be working and that's what you should be charging not you know not just a number that makes you think oh cool I can go and afford that new x um so that that was an eye-opening thing for me um that role and at the time i fell across someone that was a videographer and got talking and could see the way video was going in just the grand scheme of things from a, a social and a marketing perspective. And just thought, bugger it. Um, you know, talking to these people, I'm thinking, you really have no business sense. There's no, whilst you're creative, and a lot of creatives are like this, you're super creative, just no business sense and no organization to liaise with clients, right? Which is why when so many people go and hire a freelancer on the cheap, stuff, you know, shit hits the fan more often than not because they haven't briefed properly and they don't have the processes to deal with the stuff in the briefing. So again, whole different chapter and a whole different podcast I can do on that. But um, yeah, it was around It was around that jumping in going, you know, I can bridge the gap between... Um, videographers speak and clients speak you know we'll bridge it between robot speak and human speak is essentially how it is it's like when you work with a web developer same 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 principles apply um and so we started we started the agency um started it with the full intention of sponsoring myself through the company to stay here which was a lot of stress and a lot of paperwork and a lot of moving parts and a lot of people involved I don't know if you can still do it since the visa stuff has changed but I wouldn't recommend it to anyone that's not prepared to go the whole hog and you know when you're on any visa you can only do the job that your visa tells you you can do and so that was no different for us like I could only do that one job as a copywriter um copywriter script writer whatever you know a lot falls under content and copy but 
everything else, we had to hire someone. And from day one, I had to be taking the right salary, market rate salary for that role. And so as I speak out now, I'm like, wow, that's really crazy. But what was started with 500 bucks and a laptop in a spare room had to pay me a full-time salary. And so it didn't just have to pay me a full-time salary. It had to pay everyone else that had to come in on their different roles to do their different jobs. Um, and of course, I don't film or edit. So um, that's also a fun thing to do when you're building a video production agency is um, not film or edit. So all of those factors meant that, and there's a couple of key things here, meant that I, A, paid myself from day one, which when people are starting out a business, you're just shaking your head at me like, incredibly, you just don't, can't fathom it, right? Oh. It's just... Yes, it wasn't, a, it wasn't a big salary, but it was market rate salary and we were making it all work. Um, second thing is I was able over time to work on the business, not in it. And I still do that now. Um, I never had a hobby that I've turned into a business. It's always been the end goal for me was to create a difference by making videos with impact and bridging that that gap, that, that language barrier between creatives and clients. Um, but really, and personally, it was to stay here, to build a life here. That was my goal. And yeah, we, it, it worked. And there was a lot of curveballs through the way. And, you know, my business partner left and added a whole load more stress to that. And um, you just sort of go with it. And I've still got the same solid key members of staff that I had day, from almost day one. Um, fast forward five years and we've just made a feature film. So... I think if you've got a goal in mind, your drive and your mission, nothing's going to get in your way. It doesn't matter what that dream or that mission is. If you, if you can see it and you can visualize it, it can happen. I'm always blown away by your story. I, <laughs> there, that whole time, no one could, we haven't started filming these episodes, but you know, the whole time I'm just shaking my head, nodding my head at Becca while she tells me her story. And I think it's so interesting because when I heard this from you the first time when we met, that is, that just blew me away and hearing it again, the same thing. And I think that there are so many takeaways from this. Um, and firstly, I think I just want to acknowledge you for that phenomenal leap you took into going, you know what? I want to stay in Australia. It's my dream to be here. So I'm going to do whatever it takes to figure it out. And the fact that you were able to make that happen, paid yourself from day one, I mean, you know, it's just so abnormal and you just don't mm. hear about it. So Thank I think you. that's absolutely awesome. And as I said, so many questions come out of that. I think the first one is how do you go from that $500 sitting on the floor of some apartment you've hired to you know, a production company to having people you're paying a salary to paying yourself a salary. Like what are some of those initial steps we have to take to make things happen? I think one of the, one of the key bits of advice I got from one of my very first mentors was you're never going to feel ready. Nothing ever, and this is me putting it into my words now, but nothing great ever comes from feeling safe and playing the, playing the safe game. And so being an entrepreneur it's in you I personally don't think that you can learn it I really don't um I know some people are inherited that yes you can and there are now university degrees you can go and do to learn how to be an entrepreneur but at the end of the day you can't you can never teach someone to go jump off that wall like jump off that bridge and hope they're going to fly, you know, that you can't teach that. And so I was very fortunate in the fact that and most millennials will be in this position. But I hope, I hope is that you don't have any dependence on you. You're not a parent. You haven't got um, a family want needing you to bring in, bring in the bacon. You haven't necessarily got a partner in a full-time role that just can't quite understand why you're being that crazy person throughout the whole night doing stuff that you haven't got. I was in a position where I didn't have any of those things around me and I just had my own flat in my own apartment. And I could do what I wanted and no one judged the fact that I, you know, got home, cracked open wine and started drawing with Sharpies, you know, like, um, you, you sort of get into your own zone, your own vibe and, and go with it. And I think 
the biggest things to, uh, that I see people struggling with is trying to do it all themselves. And so whilst outsourcing does cost money, you will find it. The money will come. Um, and I know that does sound airy, very fairy, but I'm very much a big believer of you do create the, your own reality. And if you're going to sit and there's a whole thing on the new paradigm versus the old paradigm and, um, you know, you do create the whole of your own reality rather than being the original persecutor, victim or whatever the other one is, I don't even know. So if you've got that in mind and you just know that it's going to work, you bring that person on, you bring that assistant on, brief them. I think one thing I've learned is make sure you've got a good brief because you need to be very clear in what you want so that you can actually have someone to help you with that journey and don't divert off that don't divert off the journey the path will change um and obviously people are going to bring different skills which is the skills that you lack which is why you're hiring them just make sure that you know if at any point it doesn't feel right that you just nip it in the bud because the whole thing of Hire slowly and fire fast. Mm. So true. Like that could be that could be a make or break of your business um, if you're paying someone. And always make sure you've got good contracts and you've done the HR properly. Mm-hmm. I loved when you said, "Continue on the journey, but the path will change." And I think that is just you know I think that there's so much to take away that with that saying, you know, I think that idea of, you know, I think many of us get a bit stressed out when we think, oh, well, now I've started this thing or, you know, now I'm in this job or I'm in this career trajectory and, you know, it's not panning out as I kind of would have hoped and, you know, as much as in business as in career, you know, and I think that that's, that's just that having that faith that you you are and you are going to get there and you're on the journey, but it's the path will change. Yeah, you just got to have faith. And you, we now live in a world where business owning and entrepreneurialism is seen as such a glamorous lifestyle. Hmm. And it's really not. <laughs> um, it's the same as we've got Instagram and Facebook. Everyone puts the good stuff on the outside. But what really what, unless you're surrounded by entrepreneurs that get it, what, what you're not reading and what you're not listening to is the fact that... Um, I, you know, I was this close to missing my mortgage payments or, you know, I um, lived on baked beans on toast for ages or just pasta and sauce. And, you know, whilst, yes, I was out drinking a lot because I was at networking nights, did I pay for any of it? No. Um, did I eat loads of canapes because they were free at an event so I didn't have to spend money on food? Yes. You know, all these things that you just don't, you just don't come, you don't see it on the outside. And it's not something that business owners and entrepreneurs will openly share. They'll, op- no, they'll openly share it freely if you ask them to. It's not a hidden secret. They'll happily tell you, you know, give you guidance on things so that you don't have to make the same mistakes. But it's not a glamorous lifestyle, but you'll get there. You know, you'll then be able to afford that business class flight or that fancy bottle of champagne or I don't even know, maybe I've gone too high end on those ones. Or even like upgrading your car from the shitbox that you're driving just to a new one that actually, you know, has a better turning circle or whatever it is that you want. Um, It does take time and it takes hard work. Mm -hmm. When do you think that shift happened for you from I'm just like eating baked beans. I'm just trying to get by and make this work to, wow, we have some income coming into the business. Like some really. Um, look, I, I bought people on when I was still doing that. Yeah. And like, you know, and I was in a position recently, like I just, I'll forego my salary this month because that invoice wasn't paid. You know, and you do that as a business owner, as a team. And, um, and if you take your team along for the journey, they get that as well. Like I know that some of my team members could go elsewhere and earn double what they're earning with us. And that's not because I'm not paying market rates. I am, but they love the culture and the fun and the freedom of the role. And it's something different every day. It's not as though they're making the same corporate crap day in, day out. I mean, they, they, they'd go crazy. And so you've got to build that tribe and those people around you at the same time. Um, and just be honest and open. Like there are days where you just like, oh, guys, I don't even know if we're going to hit payroll this month. Like it will be fine. I'll go in the red for you if I have to, but like, come on, we just need to, this is why it's so important that I'm telling you to track hours because I need to know if our projects are profitable. Um, and so just take them along for the ride. 
if you take people along for the ride, they're way more understanding and forgiving of anything that could go wrong. It's when you keep people in the dark that things go wrong. So many good takeaways today. I'm, I'm absolutely <laughs> loving this conversation. Also conscious of the time and that we want to dive into your film. Yes. Um, oh, I, so, for a while, huh? I know, no, I love it. So, so many on that note there, there is so much to take away there. And I think that I couldn't agree more around building that tribe, building those, like not keeping people in the dark and kind of really leading your team and kind of just being there as kind of a a little group that that kind of all goes in it in with it together. Yeah, you, I mean, you all go in with it together, and you know, we've gone from we, David and I are reminiscing about this even a couple of nights ago. Going, we've gone from a bedroom in my spare room to having a fully fledged <laughs> film studio in the middle of Piermont in Sydney in five years. Like six years ago, I didn't have any of it and wasn't even in the industry. And so, you look at that stuff and you step back and you go holy shit like that's kind of cool but then it's just life for you like you're looking at me going oh my gosh what did you do it all for (laughs) to be honest we just sort of did it for fun like it's all happened for fun we've got the studio but when we took the studio one I said to the team I said if we take on the studio we're we're tripling our rent we're tripling our rent we're not we're not taking it on because we need a bigger office because we've got all the work on the team we're taking this on because we want to save a film studio and make it awesome and so if we're all in it together I'll, I'll make the jump. But if we're not, then I can't afford to take on that responsibility. And without hesitation, they were all like, yep, yeah, cool, I'll come in at the weekend to help move stuff. What do we need to paint? I'll come in. And so it's stuff like that when you build that culture. You know, don't expect people to do something for nothing, I think is where people go wrong trying to do stuff on the cheap or on the fly or can you do that cheaper for me or can you do that? Well, no, like if it's a quiet day, let them go home early. If it's a busy day, you know, they'll stay that extra few hours. They'll work their weekend. They'll fly from Melbourne to Adelaide for that last minute project because you just needed them to rather than flying home from to Sydney. You know, they'll do all that. Um, you've just got to lead, lead with that and like set an example. Yeah. Love it. I love it. And set an example you have, Becca. I'm so excited to talk about this film that you guys have created. You're a team. I can really feel the sense of this kind of being a team effort and being something that you guys have worked towards, like to, to, to kind of achieve. So talk to us a bit about, you know, reaching distance. So obviously it's in, so for all of our listeners out there, it actually is in cinemas right now. And today's the Melbourne uh, launch. So it's, I couldn't be more excited to have Becca here and chat about it before it actually goes live tonight. So talk to us a bit about that decision to make the film and then how you got there. <laughs> I don't really think it was an impression. So I laugh at a lot of things. Because I remember the stories of how these conversations happen. And uh, David had worked with me for a number of years and, you know, very creative, very much wanting to be a filmmaker. And that's what all good creators going to film school, they want to make a movie. Like they want to bring the creations to life. And he came to me and he said, uh, Becca, I've got this script. He said, I've written a movie. Did you want to come on board as a producer? I'd like you to come on board as a producer would you do that? And I said, okay. I was like, sure. He's like, we'll read the script first to make sure that you like it. I was like, okay, but yeah, you've asked me, you've backed me a hundred percent this way. Sure. I mean, how high can producing a feature film actually be is what was going through my head. So that couple of days later, I was on a flight to, from Sydney to Brisbane and I had the manuscript um, and the manuscript was... <laughs> We're keeping that one in as well. Oh, good. We'll keep that one in. Technology, <laughs> seriously. Um, even, yeah, we were on the, on the front, on the... Let me work, work, now I'll get my words out. We'll keep all of that in as well because I do tell people on video that just be human. So yeah. if you stuff it up, you know, you're human. So just keep going, um, particularly on video blogs or podcasts. And so, yeah, I had the manuscript. I was flying from Sydney to Brisbane and I felt like an absolute rock star sitting there in the economy seat that I was in, <laughs> reading this manuscript, like really fancy pants. And people were looking at me being like, oh, is she doing like mm. so obviously I'm not like yeah this is not one of those movie moments for me where it's like yes it's just like that scene and that thing that I can't even remember right now but you know everyone has those moments in life and so I said yeah we'll do it and so and so we did it and so a role of a producer 
is to find the funding to make the project. Mm. <laughs> I think it's safe to say that building a company and maintaining a company now three, we, we sort of missed that one, but now maintaining three and building a team and then trying to also fund a feature film. There's not that many hours in the day, particularly when as a business owner and as an individual, I have put a lot of constraints around my time for my own sanity. So I don't do things before 10 or after six. You just won't get me. And I go offline most weekends. And so I use that quiet time as a creative space. So to do all of that, we looked at getting grants and getting investments. And I'm quite, I'm not going to say I'm not, I'm not going to say I'm well established within the startup space in Sydney, but I know enough networks and enough of the um, process of getting investment into a business and how difficult that is, let alone doing it for a creative project. (laughs) Now, for anyone that's not in the creative industry, any form of feature film or short film usually goes a little bit like this. Mate, I've made, got this script. I've got this idea. Do you want to help me make it? I haven't really got much money, but like, can we sort of huddle it together and make it work? And could you just throw that in or could you do that for free? And the whole thing is essentially built on goodwill. And hopefully this will work and one day we'll be awesome and we'll be in LA or um, Hollywood or whatever it is, living the movie lifestyle that we want to live. And so the credit, the grants you can get from the government take a lot of boxes and hoops to jump through. And you've got to have a project that fits their criteria at the time. And so anyone who's ever tried to do any form of grant or application, they're an absolute nightmare. You need to go to university just to understand the language, right? And I'm very fortunate that my boyfriend does, I'm not going to say what he does, but, you know, does what he does and can speak speak government and can speak corporate Mm. because this creative person definitely can't. And I'm like, why can't they just simplify that? You can't write things like that. Write stuff this. I'm over filling in. I'm over trying to get these grant things. And so we tried everything and we... It was just running me into the ground and it wasn't fun. Like this process should be fun. And also I'm asking, I felt that I was asking people for money on a project that was for all intents and purposes, something really shit hot to go and do and something cool and fun that no one else had really done. And could I guarantee you a return on your investment? No. (laughs) So why would you give me your money? And this is what's going on in my head. And so I really wasn't wholeheartedly into the whole give me your money scenario because I want to be able to say to you, I'll give it back. Mm. And so, so, so with that debacle going on in my head, we decided, I decided that the best way to fund this film was to just go sell more videos through the deli and use all the profits instead of taking profits and instead of giving everyone pay rises and doing all the fun stuff that we'd just make a feature film. And so it's a small business. We're not turning over huge amounts of money and we're not um, on massive salaries at all. We haven't had a Christmas party in three years. Like There's no extra cash to do all this fun stuff. Um, but we found the money to make a feature film. And so we did. And that was really the process of funding it. Huge. And I think that once again, it comes down to that idea of you you had that vision. You were like, this is what needs to happen. But in this world where, you know, you had to go via grants or how else do other people do this and, and getting money off people and whatnot, that didn't sit well with you. I love that you kind of went back to your core and went, you know what? Let's see if we can finance this. Yeah. And we did. You know, we financed mm. it. Um, every single member of our crew bar maybe one or two people was a millennial so this film was made by millennials for millennials funded (laughs) by millennials um wow they were and one thing i am so proud of and we we haven't shouted enough about this i think and i think it's because the fit we're it tall poppy syndrome but also not wanting to rock the boat too much while the film's just getting out there is we paid every single person on that set yes we paid award rates we didn't pay massive again massive amounts every single person on that set bar the odd volunteer that was just coming in because they wanted the experience of being there was paid for their job 
And that in itself is something that you just don't hear. You just don't hear about any of it. You you go to awards and you hear stories about filmmakers that just don't make any money and don't pay their team and this is why projects don't get off the ground. And we paid every single person on that set, which means that now because we've, we've self-funded it and we've paid that, any profits that come back from that come back to us, yeah. um, which makes the whole thing a lot more simple. Uh, yes, it's added the pressure. And yes, if we had more money, we'd have done things a bit differently. But we've we learned and have now so much knowledge of the process and the ways of talking and you know the the rules that you can bend and the loopholes that you can jump through just from going through that process that the next time it will be a lot smoother um for me like this you know making a film is not a small deal it's a significant amount of money that both david and i put into that and when um when you're helping on a project, and this is what comes down to what I said earlier about not having those dependents and doing stuff, is, you know, sinking that much money into a project has meant that, you know, we've had to delay buying a house by 18 months because I pretty much put the deposit of a house into a film mm-hmm. before I'd even met my partner. And so that's been an interesting conversation too of just someone else learning and understanding the ways in which a creative mind works. And so... Yeah, it's been quite an eye-opening experience. The whole film was filmed on a bus. Uh, we own a bus. It's <laughs> it's rusting away now in a field in Windsor in, in New South Wales. And so we bought the bus and we filmed on the bus and we had three weeks because that's the budget we had to film the entire film. So the entire film was filmed within just over three weeks of, of actual filming time. Um, it's taken 18 months to edit. David was pretty much doing full-time on the film and full-time at the deli to make both work, um, which is just incredible. The, the, the stamina and the passion you see in anyone following their passion project is is mind-blowing, right? It's inspirational. It's, it's absolutely inspirational. And for me, the biggest thing at the end of the film, at the end of the filming of the film, is I looked around and every single person on that set had the biggest smiles on their faces and they were like we've actually made a movie oh my gosh we've actually made a movie this is so incredible and for me I was like that was that was worth that's worth everything like even now if I'm thinking god Becca why did you do that it's a stupid thing to do it's so stressful so actually probably made 50 people's dreams come true they all went to film school to make a feature film like they've made a feature film and so it kind of just you kind of just do it for kicks and for the fun of it and just to smile and be happy and tell stories. And yeah, it was super exciting. And I'm really, really pleased we've got it in six cinemas across Australia at the moment. And hopefully the next step is video on demand because that's where millennials are. You know, that's where you are. That's where we want you to find the film. Um, it just so happens that, you know, government grants are a little bit outdated and we needed to do cinema screenings in order to get... The, some of the grants and the reimbursements we had to be in cinemas um, so when it's on video and demand like I've, that's really where it's going to have its home and really come to life which is exciting oh Becca it's all so exciting it's phenomenal to hear the story you know from the start trying to get the money to all the way through to today where it's you know debuting in Melbourne absolutely awesome and you know once again I want to commend you on that because I mean you did help 50 old people you know dreams come true you you really facilitated that which is just I mean it's phenomenal to say yeah well what, watch some of the behind the scenes videos on the website because we did document it all like oh, behind the scenes stuff just to see it all and see their faces it's just it's just incredible like it really is it really is cool yeah I love it. I love it. Um, We will link, you know, all the notes up at the end of, um, in the show notes at the end of the episode for you guys to go check out the, the, at least the trailer and and all the behind the scenes look into that. So um, that will definitely be happening. Well, Becca, I've taken up so much of your time today. I most definitely think there will be, I mean, before we do wrap up, I do want to acknowledge you, Becca, for the phenomenal work you've done and that you're doing for your journey all the way from the UK to your, you know, pub days or, you know, working at the restaurant all the way to now when you're producing 
a, a feature film, you know, your transition has just been incredible and you've kept that, you know, energy and, and vibrance throughout the whole thing, it seems, which is so cool to see, you know, I think what you're doing and what you symbolize, it really is passion, it really is following your passion, doing what, what's most fulfilling to you, which so many of our peers out there, we can all take away from that. So I want to finish up with uh, a final question, which okay. is how we finish all of our interviews here at okay. the Peers Project. And that is, what is the value of pursuing what you're most passionate about? Priceless. Absolutely priceless. You can't put a figure on it. Yeah, at all. I love it. I love it, Becca. Thanks so much. Um, Thank you for having me. Of course. Of course. And for everyone else listening, we will end with that. Peers, that's a wrap. Thank you for tuning in to the latest episode of the Peers to Peers podcast. We hope you've enjoyed your introduction to our latest guest peer and that you find them as gung-ho as we do, which is our way of saying inspirational. For more, make sure to subscribe to our show on iTunes, Spotify, or any app where podcasts are played and leave us a review. We produce with passion and it doesn't stop here. To see what else we're up to, visit thepeersproject.com or follow us on Instagram at thepeersproject. We'll have fresh, real talk for you next week, peers. Until then, if you need inspiration, look amongst your peers.